This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I'll tell you, um, I get a lot of complaints whenever I have our next guest on. And it's not because he's not interesting. Precisely the opposite. Uh, Whenever I talk to Tom Dreesen, the thing that I can count on is a series of emails, social media comments, text messages, and so forth, all saying the same thing. I can't believe you didn't have him on for a longer interview. Tom Dreesen is not only a legendary stand-up comic, not only an author of a couple of books, including the more recent memoir, Still Standing, but he happens to have been Frank Sinatra's opening act for 14 years, and he's just one of the best storytellers and most interesting people, most entertaining people that I've ever had the privilege of uh, talking to on the radio. But it's a real challenge in talking with Tom Dreesen because he has so many great stories over 40 years in show business, but he also has a lot of interesting comments about what he's doing now. So you always want him to tell stories about yesterday, but you also want to hear him talk to you about what he's doing now and tomorrow. So we're going to do our best to thread the needle and walk that delicate tightrope. Tom Dreesen, thanks so much for joining me on the radio again. Frank, it's good to be on your show again. Uh, One correction, I've had over 50 years in show business. Ah, what did I say? 40? I didn't mean to shortchange you. Sorry about that. (laughs) So um, a lot of the stories that I've asked you about have to do with the 14 years that you spent as uh, Frank Sinatra's opening act. I'm curious, how do you feel about being the guy, about being so often asked about Sinatra, being asked to do live shows about Sinatra? Does it ever get... Because you've done so many things beyond those 14 years and so many things that have nothing to do with Sinatra. Does it ever get tiresome for you for, to have all these people like me ask you all, all about these Sinatra stories when you've done so much more than that? Well, you know, no, it doesn't, because I accepted this fact, you know, many years ago. The way somebody would do a sitcom, say, for 15 years or 20 years or a series, and no matter what they do after or what they did before – they're always asked about that. And I knew when I was touring with Frank that he was larger than life. And I knew this wasn't a national star, that it was an international star. I mean, I was touring with a guy who sang songs in English and he sold out in Japan, uh, 20,000 seat arenas. He, in Brazil, 175,000 people came to see him at one time. Uh, I, I knew, you know, he was, he was not only the greatest pop singer on the planet but he also was a great actor who won the academy award you know um that i knew in one time in flying in his private jet we were coming back from a gig and uh one nighter in new orleans and we were flying back and it was a thursday night and we were landing the jet would land in palm springs and then the jet would come back here to van nuys california and i live in sherman oaks so i would say goodbye to him and i would fly back to Sherman Oaks with the jet. And he said to me, Tommy, are you going to spend the weekend? This is a Thursday. Are you going to spend the weekend with me at, down at this compound? I said, no, I've got to go back tomorrow and do the Tonight Show. Uh, he said, I'll call Fred DeCordova. I'll get you out of it. I said, no. I said, I don't, want, I don't want to get out of it, Frank. It was my 50th appearance on the Tonight Show. I did 61 appearances on the Tonight Show, but this was going to be my 50th, and they were making a big deal out of it. So uh, Frank said, uh, really, he said, wow, that's a lot of times. Are you the comedian who's done the most appearances on The Tonight Show? I said, oh, no, David Brenner did more than me and maybe Rodney and maybe uh, that might be it. But I said, but it doesn't matter. Uh, no matter what I do, Frank, for the rest of my life, I could find a cure to cancer. 
but my obituary is going to say the comedian who toured with Frank Sinatra. He said, well, maybe my obituary will say the singer who toured with Tom Dreesen, and we both started laughing so hard. <laughs> it was like two high school sophomores because it was – he said, what are you laughing? No, and we both start laughing again, you know. But it's come to pass that that is true. I was running a marathon for multiple sclerosis. My sister Darlene had MS, so I would run 26 miles every year. I did it for three years, and we called it 26 miles for Darlene. And just before I was ready to start, they had the camera crews out there in Chicago, and, and they were saying, and the CNN guy said, I'm standing out here live with Tom Dreesen about to run his first marathon. Tom, before you get started, tell us a story about Frank Sinatra. We. <laughs> So I, I, I just knew, and I accept this, and, and, and I don't mind. And you're okay with mind. it? You're okay with the fact that You know that why will... I'm okay with it? Because, Frank, in the beginning, he was the boss of the tour. Mm. As time went by, we became friends. He became like a buddy, and we hung out till, till the wee hours in the morning, till dawn. He never went to bed till the sun came up. So on the road or off the road, when I stayed at his house down in the desert, we'd ride around the desert till dawn. And toward the end of his life, he was more like a father to mm. me. And he gave me fatherly advice. So, no, I don't, I don't mind at all because I love the man. And, and I was a pallbearer at his funeral, and I spoke at his funeral, and I miss him every day of my life. So and it's a long answer to a short question. You know, you mentioned Sinatra as an actor. One of the areas where I don't think Sinatra gets uh, celebrated enough is for his accomplishments as an actor. And not just from here to eternity, but if you look at his work in The Manchurian Candidate, if you look at his work in musicals like uh, uh, Guys and Dolls, he really was an absolutely terrific actor, wasn't he? What about the man with the golden arm? Well, oh, he should have won the Academy Absolutely, Award. a fine... What about a movie and the original, um, the, orig- the original Ocean's Eleven as well. Yeah, what, what about the movie called Suddenly? You know, sometimes people would say to me, well, you know, Frank was really being more of, of a, uh, he didn't go deeper into a character. I said, that's a lie. I mean, what, Maggio, how deep did he go into that character? Mm-hmm. How about the, the movie Suddenly where he played an assassin? Uh, you know, it, it, he, he was, you know, one night sitting in, at his compound, he had, he had this huge compound down in Rancho Mirage, and the outer perimeters were all these bungalows uh, named after his songs, uh, Strangers in the Night, Tender Trap, My Way, uh, songs like that. that. The bungalows were named like that. And his house guests were, would be like Gregory Peck and his wife, Veronique. It would be Jack Lemmon and his wife, Felicia. It would be um, Kirk Douglas and his wife, Anne, uh, Clint Eastwood, and whoever he was dating at the time, you know, <laughs> Robert Wagner, Joe St. John. All these people, Angie Dickens, anyhow, all the women had gone to bed and the guys were sitting around talking. And I was sitting there like a fly in the wall. These are people that I had seen in the movies in Harvey, Illinois, when I was a little boy growing up. You know, and I'm listening to them talking about film and filmmaking and directing and acting. And I noticed that Kirk Douglas, Jack Lemmon, Clint Eastwood, and that uh, Gregory Peck were paying great reverence to Frank. Mm. And I, it was curious. And I said, out of you know, out of nowhere, I said, "Did you ever study acting?" Because in Hollywood, everybody tells you who they studied with, you know. Uh, and so I said, "Frank, did, I was curious who he studied with." I said, "Frank, did you ever study acting?" And Gregory Peck grabbed my arm very firm. He said, "Ah, acting lessons would have ruined him. He was a diamond in the rough you didn't fool with. That's why when you gave Frank a song, to him it was a script." What did the writer feel the night the writer took pen in hand? Frank would immerse himself in that lyric and become that lonely guy in the bar whose woman left him and he's never going to find love again. And you felt that. You know, you felt that. And also the joy of the song. You know, he was an extraordinary artist. Yeah, no, that's for sure. Uh, You know, that role in From Here to Eternity, 
that's probably the thing that has caused so many observers over the course of the last 50 years to believe that the role of uh, the character of Johnny Fontaine in The Godfather was based on Sinatra because he seems to describe a similar similar set of circumstances as what Frank was going through at that time. There was always a lot of speculation that Sinatra was never happy with Mario Puzo because of that situation with The Godfather. Is that something that you guys ever had the opportunity to talk about? Yeah, Frank walked across the room at a party one night and called him an SOB and said, you took parts of my life, put it into a film to make it look like it depicted my life. And what was really angered, Frank, is that movie From Here to Eternity, how he got that movie and, and the Godfather, they would make you think that they put a horse's head in, right, <laughs> in, right, in the producer's the bed, sure. In the, the studio's bed. But the truth was, he did an incredible screen test. He was down on luck, down on his luck. He was, he was down and out. The uh, Harry Cohn, the head of the studio, wanted um, uh, what's his name from Eli Wallach uh, to do that part of Maggio but Eli Wallach was on Broadway at the time and uh, so he couldn't get out of the contract but Frank had did an, done an incredible screen test in fact if you remember the scene where Maggio in the, in the bar uh, he he's drunk and he's in the bar before he gets in a fight with, with uh, uh, Ernest Borgnine he goes to the bar and he's drunk and, and he throws those olives down the bar and he says, come on, seven. You know, he rolls the olives down the bar. Prior to the screen test, he said to the director, do you have anything you want me to do? He said, Frank, the guys are drunk. You've been around a lot of drunks in your life. Mm. Play it. Play it the way you see it. So Frank, when he went to the bar, he ad-libbed that scene. It wasn't in the script. He ad-libbed that scene of rolling down the, the, the olives down the bar. When he finished, Frank told me the story one night at the compound, when he finished that scene and they went cut, the whole crew applauded him. Now, again, this wasn't a great Frank Sinatra time. It was Frank Sinatra, but he was down on his luck and he needed that job and he needed that. And as he told me that story, he said, those guys, those crew, and he got choked up telling me. He got like light tears in his eyes about how they applauded him, how much that meant to him that night. And then even still... Harry Cohn wasn't convinced that, you know, to uh, cast Frank in the film. Ava Gardner was a very dear friend of Harry Cohn's wife, and Ava Gardner lobbied for Frank. She would call Harry Cohn's wife often, and the story goes that Harry Cohn's wife, one night, sitting down to dinner, the phone had rang, she went and talked, she came back, and she said to Harry Cohn, Harry Cohn's wife said, that was Ava, and she wants you to consider Frank for that role. Hmm. She called again. And Harry Cohn said, well, look at the, he had a, in, in the in the house, he had the screening room. He went and looked at it, and he goes, yeah, yeah, he could do it. They offered Frank $8,000 for that role, and he did it, and he won the Academy Award, and it totally changed his life. So he resented the fact that you would imply that he got that through some mob connection. He got it through his brilliant acting. In those days, you know, these days, I always think of comedians being the opening act for other comedians and a lot of times singers or bands being the opening act for other singers or bands. In those days, was it common for a comedian to open for a singer or is that something that you guys sort of broke the mold with? No, always common. Every show you saw, when I started out in show business, there were no comedy clubs in America. Tim Reed and I, as you know, were America's first black and white comedy team. History shows we were the last. 
so Tim Reed, who later became Venus Flytrap, Venus Flytrap on WKRP Cincinnati, we toured all over the nation working all black clubs in the north and the south, what they affectionately call the Chitlin Circuit, black-owned, black-operated nightclubs. Um, the 20 grand in Detroit, Motown was in Detroit at the time, so all the 20, all the Motown acts broke their acting at the 20 grand before they went on to Vegas. Uh, the in Chicago, the Cotton Club, the uh, Burning Spear, the Guys and Gals Lounge, in uh, and, in Boston, the Sugar Shack, in Atlantic City, the Club Harlem, and so if there was a singer, there was a comedian opening, or vice versa, there might be a singer opening for a comedian. But that's how nightclubs worked all over the nation, and that's how they worked in Las Vegas. The first time I went to Vegas, I was appearing with Sammy Davis Jr. and uh, at Caesar's Palace, and that was my first time there. And down the strip, on both sides of the strip, it would be singer, comic, comic, singer. You know, uh, it was only later that they started doing. What, you know, it, it, I mean, they might have done it in small places and stuff like that, but it wasn't a major thing to put two singing acts back to back. You know, it, it's been reported that uh, Sinatra could have quite a temper. Is that accurate, or is that just part of the myth that's built up over Sinatra over the years? That's about as accurate as anything you've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was. I'm Irish Italian, you know, and, and uh, I always say there's a war going on inside me, you know. Uh, but I'm, I'm half Sicilian and half Irish. And Frank was was full blood Italian, but he was half Sicilian. And and he, you know, and all the stories about him, you know, the old story that that uh, he had Sicilian Alzheimer's. You know, it's Sicilian Alzheimer's is you can't remember anything but the vendettas. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You know, that joke. Uh, but, yeah, but he, he, had a, he had a temper. But on the other hand, you know, he, he by his own admission on an interview many, many years ago, I think it was Walter Winchell, one of those old-time guys. But And he said, I'm a 24-karat manic depressive. He said, by Frank's own admission, so I'm not telling stories out of school, he, he suffered with mood swings sometimes, you know. And, um, and, uh, you know, and, and it was only later in his life that he totally realized this and, and he even took a medication uh, for it, you know. The um, we're talking with Tom Dreesen. If you're just tuning in, you Tom Dreesen, one of the great stand-ups of all time. You can check out his website. A lot of great clips on there. TomDreesen.com. That's D-R-E-E-S-E-N.com. He's actually going to be performing in in Atlantic City on August 27th at the Ocean Casino Resort at Ovation Hall, one of the great rooms anywhere in America. And uh, we'll talk to you about that show in just a bit. But um, what can you tell us, Tom, about about Frank's drinking? There was always a lot of uh, talk that Dean Martin was a drunkard. And then we've talked to his daughter, who has a show Sunday nights on WABC, and she said that that was largely a put-on, that Dean, her father, Dean Martin, was not really uh, drunk most of the time. And it's been reported that uh, that Frank was a very heavy drinker. Is that accurate? Well, here's here's what's accurate, and Dean is right. You know, Dean, if you you if you study the history of show business, Frank did a movie called The Joker is Wild about Joey Lewis, and and Joey Lewis was a singer who ended up with the mob slashed his throat and ended up becoming a comedian. And Joey Lewis's whole act was he was drunk. I mean, he would go on stage drinking. He had a few drinks before the show. I mean, Dean Martin's. Oh, Joey no, Lewis. I'm talking about Got Joey it. Lewis. Okay. My Joey Got Lewis it. would go on stage like he was drunk, and the audience loved the fact because you're drunk, you can say things that you might not have said, mm. and you could be excused for that. So you, you know, because and the people would say, you know, he's had too much to drink. For, Dean 
emulated Joey in a lot of ways. You know, it was Joey Lewis's real line Ah. that I feel sorry for people who don't drink because when they wake up in the morning, that's as good as they're going (laughs) to feel all day. You know, Dean later did that joke. Dean also, in his Vegas act, would walk out on stage. They'd say, ladies and gentlemen, direct from the bar, Dean Martin. And Dean would saunter out with a drink in his hand. And I'm I'm paraphrasing, we'd do something like, everybody love somebody sometime. And they'd look at the piano player and they'd say, how long have I been out here? You know? <laughs> now, now the whole audience would because it's, oh God, he's having a few drinks too many. Dean wasn't drunk, but, but you can get away with a lot of stuff if, you, if people think that you had too much to drink, you know. And so, you know, Dean wasn't a drinker. Frank, conversely, loved Jack Daniels, Jack and a Splash. You know, that was his, his drink of choice. He called it the nectar of the gods, you know. Now, not during a show would Frank drink. Toward the end of the show, he would stop and have Jack and a Splash, a little sip, and he'd do a couple more songs. He would toast the audience and say, you know, may you all live to be 150 years old, and the last voice you'll hear is mine. You know, that kind of stuff. And But, and then, but then he would hang out till dawn. Now, I personally... In the 14 years I toured with Frank, and I knew him before that and after, I never saw him fall down drunk ever once. Mm. You know, toward the end of his life, he sipped a little bit. He never chug-lugged when I was with him. Now, earlier in his career, I had heard about those stories, but I never personally gotcha. saw him fall down drunk. And by the way, I came from a neighborhood of drunks. You know, uh, my, my father was an alcoholic. My mom drank heavy at one time. I was a bartender in bars. I know a drunk when I see one, you know. You've told a story before about how there was one instance where you and Frank are performing before a packed capacity crowd of 20,000 or so people. And by the time this is very late in Frank's career, but the third of the fourth song comes on and Sinatra has a difficult time remembering the lyrics. Can you talk about that experience? What must that have been like for Frank, for you, for the fans on an emotional level? Ironically, you bring that up because I just told your screener, uh, who just called me, Alex, that I I was looking – friends are texting me from all over the country saying, Joe Rogan just put on TikTok a a video of a story I told, this story I'm about to tell you, uh, Kevin Nealon, uh, about three or four years ago. And now it's gone crazy all over the uh, TikTok and Instagram and on the Internet of this, this story that I'm about to tell you. We were working the Quad Cities. We were touring all over the country. Frank was 78 years old. And, of course, at that age, we were all wondering, when is he going to lay it down? Because there were nights that he might forget a lyric or two or something like that. And, and so you're saying, gee, I wonder when he's going to lay it down, you know. And and, uh, and people used to ask me. I said, I don't know when he's going to lay it down. I think be, I don't think he'll ever do it. I think he'll be in the middle of my way one night and fall over, and it'll be all over, you know. I would joke. But one night at the Quad Cities in, in up in Illinois, it's Bettencourt, Iowa. Um, it's um, Moline, Illinois. It's, it's four cities, Quad Cities. It's called the Mark Auditorium. And there were about 15,000 people in the arena. And I did my show, and it was a real good crowd. The orchestra was in an orchestra pit, and we were in, in, the, in, the, in the arena around there. So Frank goes out, and he sings three songs, and he's doing real good. He gets to the fourth song, and he totally blanked on the lyrics. In the middle of the, and, and I all of a sudden I heard him saying, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Now I was stage left and I worked my way to stage. I said, Oh my God. He's and now he's going, I'm sorry. The orchestra, not realizing that he had forgotten the lyric, was still playing and he kept saying, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And finally the orchestra, realizing he wasn't with them, began to wind their instruments down one at a time to an eerie silence in this entire arena. And now everyone could hear him whispering. 
I'm sorry. I, I, I'm just, I'm just so sorry. Now I'm thinking, okay, this is it. We're going home. I'm, I'm gonna, uh, you know, you know, say, let's go, Mr. S. It's been a great career, but it's time to go home. And he looked, he turned and looked my way, like he looked like he was gonna come off stage. And just then, up in the arena, way up on top of the arena, a guy stood up and shouted as loud as he could, that's all right, Frank, it's all right, because we love you, Frank, and it's all right because we love you. And all, he started to applaud, and the people around him started to applaud, and pretty soon everybody around him was applauding, and all of a sudden, like in a circular around that huge arena, they kept applauding until finally the entire reading, uh, arena was applauding, and they stood up cheering. I still thought Frank was going to leave, but he started to look toward like he was coming off, and he went back to center stage, and they couldn't stop cheering for him. And finally, they settled down, and he went into the next number, and it was Come Rain or Come Shine, and he didn't miss a lyric. I'm going to love you wow. like nobody's love you. Come Rain or... And he was like a kid again. He nailed every lyric, every nuance, and when he finished, they rose to their feet, and I swear, it, it seemed like it was five minutes. They would not stop cheering. And as he started to sing the next song, he pointed up to the top to that guy. He said, I love you too, pal. And he sang for about 11 months after that, uh, before he finally laid it down. Uh, tell me about the event in Atlantic City at the Ocean on August 27th. I've been to Ovation Hall at the Ocean many times. It's a great place to see uh, a comic. It's a great place to see a singer. What are you guys doing down there? Well, there's a singer named Michael Mortucci, who I think you know. And, and he's a wonderful, wonderful singer. And he plays great pays great tribute to Frank Sinatra. I, I have turned down people all over the country for years that wanted me to come and work with them because they sing, they don't do, some do impressions of Frank and some just do pay tribute to the music. But I never wanted to do that. And then Elliot Weissman, Frank's manager, uh, who was Frank's manager, called me and, and he told me about Michael. And then Michael contacted me and he said, let's do one date together. I've got so many things going on in my life right now. We're doing a documentary in my life. I've got a book out, as you know, um, still standing my journey from streets and saloons to the stage in Sinatra that I'm promoting because I couldn't put it out during COVID. I couldn't go out during COVID. So I'm, I'm so busy. I didn't want to do this, but because I do a one man show about Frank called the man who made Sinatra laugh. But after watching Michael sing, I realized how good he really was. He's got a 20 piece orchestra and it's going to be an incredible show. He's going to come out and do some songs and and then I'm going to come out and do stand-up comedy and then also some stories of Frank and video of Frank and I together, that stories that people have never heard before, you know. And then uh, then he'll come back and do some songs, and then we'll both come out and take a bow. But it, I'm really excited about it because I haven't been to Atlantic City since I was there with Frank. Outstanding. Well, that should be something. I hope to see you when you're out east. If uh, if people are interested in getting uh, in getting tickets to that, they can go to theoceanac.com. They can also go to tomdreesen.com, or you could just call the Ocean Casino and uh, and get tickets through that. My only no, Ticketmaster. I don't think the Ocean Casino, believe it or not, I oh, don't you're think kidding. They, they sell tickets. I think you have to go to Ticketmaster. I stand corrected. Well, that's uh, I'm glad yeah, you TomDreesen.com. You, you would be the guy, you would be the guy to know. My only beef with you is that you've got a, a morning host, a great guy from some other radio station hosting this show and there's nobody that talks about Atlantic City and Frank Sinatra on the radio more than me. That's my lone complaint about that show. Well, and that's a very good complaint and I'll tell you why I had nothing to do with that decision. And if I did, I probably would have gotten a bigger name than both you guys. But I, <laughs> no, I don't blame I, I, you. That, by the way, you know I had nothing to do with that. But uh, yeah, you're I'll... more than welcome. And, and if you do come, I want you to come backstage and, and, uh, 
and uh, be my guest. Well, thank you, Tom. I will see you when you're out here. Hopefully, maybe we even get you in studio. That'll be a lot of fun. Uh, that would be fun for sure. Thank you. And by the way, I did check. Uh, you can get tickets both on Ticketmaster and at the Ocean's website, theoceanac.com. Just click on uh, entertainment. Oh, oh, yeah, it's that. on both. All right. Tom Dreesen. And by the way, real quick cheap plug, but you can also get my book on Amazon.com. It's got over 400 five-star reviews. Okay, that's my cheap Let's do plug this again in a week or two because uh, I didn't even scratch the surface with issues that I wanted to ask you about. So we'll, we'll continue this conversation in a couple of weeks if you're, if you're game. I'm game. Thanks, Frank. Thank you. The great Tom Dreesen uh, performing in Atlantic City August 27th. Check out the website, TomDreesen.com. Check out the book. Uh, He's got two, actually, two great books, one with Tim Reed, the comic that I mentioned earlier, and uh, it's uh, both worth reading. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.